All right, uh, if you didn't come to the Hope Conference this past week uh, weekend, you really, really missed uh, a great, great event. Um, Dr. Nicholas Ellen, uh, he really gave some insightful but very practical um, uh, lessons for us. Um, he's going to be our guest speaker this morning. Uh, Dr. Ellen is a senior pastor, is the senior pastor at Community of Faith Bible Church in Houston, Texas. He's the author of Understanding and Developing a Biblical View of Life, Common Issues We Face in Life, and he's also the author of Every Christian a Counselor, and also you just have a, a new book that's recently came out called With All, With All Your Heart. So um, that's the latest book, I think. Uh, he's a certified biblical counselor with ACBC. He's also the senior professor at the College of Biblical Studies and a senior member of the Biblical Counseling Framework Association. He's the founder of Expository Counseling Center and the host of Up With The Sun Morning Show. So please welcome Dr. Nicholas Ellen. There we go. <laughs> Good morning to you all. It is, a, again, pleasure to be here with you. Uh, for those I didn't get a chance to meet over the weekend, hoping I can chat with you a little bit today. I just really have enjoyed myself with you guys. Um, you go to a lot of churches around the country, and not everybody is nice. <laughs> I could stop there, but I won't. <laughs> we were at a church in Chicago, I'll never forget, and... My wife and I were sitting in the front seat, and this lady had her cane, and she started hitting me with the cane because apparently I was sitting in her seat. I didn't see her name tag there, and I wasn't sure, but so now when I walk in churches, I grab my knees, and I just kind of make sure I'm not in anyone's seat. <laughs> but no, it is a privilege to be here with you guys. Thank you so much for your hospitality. Uh, I've had a wonderful time here with you. Looking forward for us diving in the Word together. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for this time, this hour. Lord, we know that you are in control of our lives. We ask your forgiveness where we've tried to take control of those things that belong to you. And we ask, Lord God, that as we look into what you're telling us, that, Lord, we'll be careful not to just look, but submit our way to you. We ask your forgiveness, Lord, for the attitudes we've had, Lord, that have been self-serving, the words and actions and deeds that didn't match you. And we pray, Lord God, that this day, this hour, you would help us to make the adjustments. Father, forgive us for making so many excuses and not making confessions, because you told us you would forgive us if we confess. So, Lord, help us to see, help us to submit, help us to serve. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Story is told of this gentleman who was trying to get this painting of Jesus. And as he got this painting of Jesus, it was a very, very big painting. And he tried to get the painting put into his house. And as he was working with different people, he finally called some of the best engineers, some of the best architects, and they all said to him the same thing. Sir, this painting is so big, it can't fit in your house. You're going to have to build your house around this painting. And too often what we'll discover in life is that's what we do with Jesus. We're trying to fit Jesus into our lives, but God has called us to build our lives around Jesus. And one of the ways that he leads us to that is through trials. 
We see in the book of James that in the first chapter, James tells us to count it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. And this reality that trials, if we understand them from God's perspective, it is an avenue, it is an opportunity to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of God. But within the book of James, he also tells us that sometimes if we're not careful, we can find ourselves operating in the kind of wisdom that's inconsistent with his ways. And when we do that, we find confusion, disorder, and every evil thing. But one of the ways that God will allow us to grow in character and grow in faith is through the areas of conflict. I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm not the only one, but there's never been a year, a month, a week where there wasn't some kind of drama that was happening in life where I didn't have to deal with conflict. And as a pastor, I am always, whether it's conflict in my home, conflict in the church, in the community, there's always conflict. And one of the things that I'm learning about it is it's a part of life for a reason, And because it's a part of life for a reason, my challenge to you this morning is to begin to process in your mind why conflict exists. And we're going to study it in the book of James in chapter 4 in just a moment. But before we do, I want us to look at some background ideas about the issue of conflict. And I'd like to give you a working definition of conflict. If you look with me, we can define conflict as a state of war, uh, if you will, uh, dispute or individual disputes or battles between people that watch this, it manifests in the attitudes and words and actions. Conflict begins in the mind before it ever moves into your mouth until it ever moves into the relationship. And this idea of conflict that happens is so many different ways that can uh, spark conflict and there's so many different issues we can have. I want to suggest to you a few of those issues that can spark conflict. Sometimes conflict can come from what we call personal preferences. In the book of Acts, we remember when uh, Paul and Barnabas had went on their missionary journeys, and as they came back, they had an assessment and said, hey, why don't we go back again on another missionary journey? Let's go back and assess the churches that we've established. And Barnabas began to suggest something to Paul, and I love the way the Bible says, it says a sharp disagreement arose. Barnabas said to Paul, hey, why don't we take John Mark back with us again? And in my sanctified imagination, I I see the conversation going something like this. We're not going to take that rookie back out with us. He blew it. I can't trust him. And I can see Barnabas saying, well, wait a minute, Paul. Doesn't everybody deserve a second chance? Didn't you get a second chance? And I could see Paul said, that's a low blow. And then I could see Paul say, or Barnabas saying, but you need to understand something. You weren't all of what you were. You had to be helped out. And I could see Paul saying, yeah, but I didn't act like John Mark. I could just see this tension going between them. But the reality was it was a preference. It was neither right nor wrong to take John Mark. But whenever you hold strongly to a preference and no one else's preferences can be in the mix, conflict is going to arise. Let me show you what a preference is. It's your way or no way. It has to be done this way, and if it's not done this way, everybody else is wrong. And you're right, and because you're right, everybody else is wrong, and this is your standard. Now, watch this. It's not God's standard. It's your standard. Prime example, in my family, the first year of our marriage, the first big fight my wife and I had was over washing clothes. 
So I'm taking the clothes downstairs. I'm thinking, I'm going to do something great today. I'm going to wash clothes for my wife and family. I'm feeling like I'm the big guy on campus. So I take the clothes, and I'm going to wash. And as I'm going to wash, my wife comes in, and she looks at me. She has this weird look on her face. She says, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm washing clothes. She said, no, that's not how you wash clothes. I said, no, baby, that's not how you wash clothes. <laughs> and like that Lionel Richie song, All Night Long, <laughs> conflict because of washing clothes. But sometimes conflict arises from that. Sometimes we can discover conflict can come from a preoccupation with personal agendas. When everything has to be the way you want, how you want, that can create conflict. Sinful attitudes and actions can create conflict. Unmet biblical needs, we saw the first deacons were put in place because of something happening with the Hellenistic Jews and that they were forgetting to feed them, and therefore that need created conflict. Conflict can come from a fear of losing something important to you. These are some of the issues that can lead to conflict, but the reality is they're not the root. Now, in your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to James for just a moment, uh, chapter 3, verse 13, and, and here is where James begins to talk about the kind of wisdom, and I want us to look at that before we get into chapter 4, because the wisdom here is important because there's a root in the wisdom that leads to the conflict that we tend to have in life, and I want us to draw the connection. He says in verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. So now Paul, I'm sorry, James is telling us, okay, if you think you're wise, which most people think they're wise, then this is how you show it. He says in verse 13, by your good behavior, deeds, and gentleness of wisdom. But then there's a transition, the word but. But is a dangerous word sometimes. I love you, but. It just discounted everything. Am I making sense to you? In verse 14, it says, but you have bitter, but if you have bitter see, uh, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Wise people, according to God's standards, are operating in bitterness, jealousy, and selfish ambition. In other words, the world is not about what you did not receive. The world is not about what you want that you don't have, and you're not looking at other people thinking you should have what they have. That is not the wisdom of God. That is the wisdom of the world. And in that kind of wisdom, it tells us in the next verse, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there's this order in every evil thing. But I love the next part. It says, but this wisdom is not from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. I love that. Not that I love that that's sickening, but I love the reality of this. Where there's confusion and disorder in your life, you can trace it back to selfish ambition and agendas not going the way you want. When there is confusion and disorder in your life, you're operating by earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. Where there's earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, you're not consumed with the wisdom of God and his will. You're consumed with your agenda. And as we start to understand and we move into the next verse, it says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and fruits, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Wisdom 
Wisdom of God is not about having one's own way. It's about understanding God's way and seeking to bring harmony according to his will and way. When you are operating in selfishness, when you're operating in a preoccupation with having your way, you're operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. And when you're operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, what you'll discover is that you will find yourself confronting people thinking that the issue needs to be addressed, which creates conflict, when it's really not an issue that needs to be addressed. One of the dangers, as I've discovered, in helping people resolve conflict is that many conflicts arise because confrontation has happened for the wrong reason. When I confront you based upon my agenda and not God's standard, of course we are going to have problems. But too often what we think, the other person doesn't see it, they're not getting it, but we don't get it because we're operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. I want to suggest to you a few reasons why we can confront people sometimes out of earthly, natural, demonic reasons that give us more problems in relationships. Consider this. Trying to arrange for our opinions to be agreed with or our preferences to be realized so we confront, lead into conflict. How many times have you tried to help people see it your way? And it started as a friendly discussion that moved into a fight, and now you're not talking to each other. Because in your mind, my way is the way. You must see it. You must accept it. I will have the last word because my standard is how we need to do things around here. Didn't you get it that my way is always right? And many of you, because you are, and I say this respectfully, you're so full of yourselves that you've elevated your standard above God's standard, and everyone must agree with you in order for everything to be okay. That's earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. Some ways that we confront each other sometimes, consider this, presuming to know the other person's motives and actions leading to confrontation, producing conflict. Now, the Bible says no one knows the heart of man except the spirit of man within him, but you don't agree with that. You know what the other person's thinking. <laughs> and you're going to let them know because you know exactly what's going on in their hearts. You're going to tell them before they get started. That's a dangerous position. That creates conflict. Why? Because you're operating out of earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. Third, pointing things out in others that irritate and anger us that we want them to confess and change for our comfort and benefit instead of leading people to see the sins that God wants them to confess and change for his glory. They're not in sin. It just irritates you. Stop digging in your ears. You know, why do you eat with your mouth open? You know, why are you sitting there snorting? Oh, it just irritates me. And we find ourselves confronting people not because of sin, but things that bother us. Earthly, natural demonic wisdom. How often have you found people coming at you, not because you've done something wrong, but it's just not what they would like to see? I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, pastor or prof or friend, whatever, why did you do it that way? Now, you know, that's a setup question, right? Okay. When you say, why did I do it that way? What do you mean? Well, I mean, there were so many other ways you could have done it. Why did you do it that way? It's like, well, I've got a question for you before I answer your question. Did I do something that was sinful, that the Bible would define as wrong? Well, no, you didn't do anything wrong, but I just feel. Here we go. <laughs> so I didn't do anything wrong, but because it wasn't the way you wanted it, you felt the need to come tell me about it because if it's not done your way, we have problems. Earthly, 
natural, demonic wisdom. How many times have you confronted someone because it bothered you? It wasn't the way you wanted it. Here's the fourth thing. Again, operating out of earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, using Scripture to attack others instead of using it to help others see their sin and confess and repent. You know you can be strong and wrong. Anybody ever been strong and wrong? Oh, don't look at me like that. You've been strong and wrong. Where you stood up and stuck your chest out and you were right, but you were just so nasty that people couldn't hear the truth because of the nastiness in your mouth. Too often when we are operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, we may have the right insight, but we've got the wrong heart. And it creates confusion, disorder, and every evil thing. But James chapter 4, verse 1 it really gets to the issue of what's going on. And before we get there, I, I was thinking that sometimes, and, and these are stories that I, I've heard about, there was a man that was confronted. He was driving the wrong way on the freeway, and no one could get his attention. And so people were yelling and shouting and trying to get out to tell him, you're going the wrong way. In the context, that makes sense because in going the wrong way, he couldn't see. He needed someone to abruptly confront to help him on the right way. But there are other stories of drivers who, because they weren't driving at the speed that the other person was doing, not that they weren't doing the speed limit, the other person wanted them to do 95 and they were doing 70 or 75, and they're getting honked at and they're getting frustrated because that person's in their way because they're in sin and they want the other person to sin with them. Too often, we're confronted in two ways. Sometimes we're confronted for the right reasons. Sometimes we're confronted for the wrong reasons. Too often, you confront for the right reasons. Sometimes you confront for the wrong reason. The question is, when you're looking at the conflict in your life right now, why is there conflict? Is it because you've been operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom? Or is it because... Someone is unwilling to embrace God's wisdom. In James chapter 4, we get to the nitty-gritty of conflict. And I want you to walk with me in this, and I want you to process this. And again, this is not for the person next to you. This is for you. So no nudging. <laughs> no looking at the person, and they can see you, but you're not, they're not looking at you, but they can feel your eyes. Okay. None of that loud in our church, you know, that loud amen, which means amen because it's about you. None of that. <laughs> this is for who? You. Amen. James chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 3, unpacks for us the core, the root issues behind conflict. He says in James chapter 4, verse 1, what is the source? In other words, what is the root? What is the origin of conflict? I love this. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source, please underline this in your Bibles, in mine in the New American Standard I'd have, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? Now, what's fascinating here is that 
James is helping us to see something, and we're going to break this down even more in a moment, but where there is conflict between individuals, it's because there's something on the inside. There are some things that you're wanting, and those things have become in conflict in that you want them more than God will let you have them. You want them more than someone else is willing to give them to you, and there's a conflict because your desire for what you want is overriding your love for God and others. Notice what he says in verse 2, you lust and do not have. That word lust there, that's an evil desire. That means you've turned this desire into something that is so powerful that you're willing to sin to get it and sin when you don't get it. You lust. Most people think of lust, they just reduce it to sex. But in the context, lust is bigger than sex. It's any desire you've made more important that you've turned into a demand. I must have. You must serve me. You will give this to me. It becomes the center of your soul. He says in the text, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you're an envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. I love this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask, but you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. It, let me give you an idea of what it's like, and, and, and bear with me for a moment. Um, how many of you know what the term PYT is? There you go. See, some of you are too young to know what a PYT is. Google it. Michael Jackson made a song. Anybody remember that song he made? I want to love you. Uh, anyway. P-Y-T. Now, let's say I'm out with my wife, and as I'm out with my wife, I kind of tell her I'll be back. I'm, I'm going to go over here across the street or whatever, and I run into a P-Y-T. And I start to talk with this P-Y-T and think, wow, I kind of like this P-Y-T. This is she's pretty nice. So then I, I grab the P-Y-T by her hand. I bring her back to my wife and say, honey, I have a great idea. I want to bring this PYT home and make her part of our house and our second wife to me. And I want you to bless this relationship. Now, you see how you guys are looking at me right now? <laughs> That's how God feels when you take the horrors of this world and bring it before him and say, Lord, please bless it. All the things that you make more important than him and then say, please bless me with it. God says, you've lost your mind. You've taken this desire, you've taken this thing, and it is so important to you. You're sinning against me right now, and you don't have it, and you think I'm going to give it to you? Imagine what you would do if I gave it to you. You're already in sin when you don't get it. You lust. Walk with me through letter A and letter B. Let's walk this through. When we're talking in this passage, as we're breaking down the root cause of conflict, the root can be traced back to unmet desires in our hearts. These desires from within wage war in our mind and will and affections. It's something that cannot be satisfied by you. It's something that someone else has that you want. It's something that you can't control getting. It's something that can't be given to you by your own power. Let me give you some examples of some of the things right now in your heart that you long for and the reason why you're fighting so much with whomever you're fighting with. It comes back to some of these things. Some of you worship being in control. And the reality is someone has to give you control in order for you to have it. But because it's a worship of your soul, you fight for it. You fight to keep it. You fight when you believe you're losing it because you worship control. 
Some of you worship to be loved, to be accepted, to be understood, to never hurt or be disappointed, to be respected by others, to be served by others, to have personal preferences accommodated at all times, to be viewed as competent. Some of you can't ever look dumb in your eyes to anybody else. And so you'll lie and make compensation for things because you have to be seen in the light of being intelligent, to belong to someone, to be held in high regard, to be significant, to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to be valuable, to maintain a favorable position, to be secure and safe, to never be alone. Your appetite for these desires leads you to be overly preoccupied with these things, and you find yourself focusing on satisfying these desires, which leads to all types of conflict. Lusting, leading to murder. Envy, leading to fighting and quarreling. Denying a prayer request. Why? Because it's selfish. You want to know why there's conflict in your life with other people? Earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, selfish ambition, bitter jealousy, leading to making your desires more important than anything else. February 14th, Valentine's Day in 2000 in Houston, there was this wedding, and it was an interesting wedding between Benny and Brandon. Now, you think, what's the big deal about that? Well, it was two dogs. <laughs> and all the dog lovers got together and watched Benny and Brandon get married. Now, what's interesting, and I want you to think about this, because you go, well, that's just crazy. That's random. Why are you saying this? I don't get it. Well, it's interesting that sometimes dogs try to act like humans, but sometimes we act like dogs when we bite and bark against one another. And it's dangerous because conflict brings out that type of attitude and action. Because when you want what you want the way you want it and it is not given to you, we find you acting as if you don't belong to Jesus Christ. Which is what we see in James chapter 4, verses 4 to verses 6. Walk with me as we look at this. Notice what he says, you adulteresses, do you not understand that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you are operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, when you are operating in a manner that does not reflect the nature of Jesus Christ, you are being a friend to the world. And, and one of the partner verses that we can think about with this friendship with the world is the first John 2 when he says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. And actually, when you're becoming a friend to the world, it's basically the lust of the eyes. I can have whatever I see. The lust of the flesh, I can do whatever I want. And the pride of life, I can be whatever I want. And when you're operating this way, there's going to be conflict. Why? Because whatever you see is important to you and you want it. Whatever you feel and want to do, you just do it. And whatever you think you should have, you want to have it. And everyone needs to line up with you. Does that reflect the love of Jesus Christ? Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love does not seek its own. The more we walk in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, the more we'll see confusion, disorder, the more we will see ourselves reflecting not the image of Christ, but the image of the evil one. When there's a lot of conflict and you're acting worldly and it keeps happening over and over and over again, I want to suggest to you that there may be four things that God may be trying to show you in this conflict. He keeps saying, I keep having the same fight with this person over and over and over again. You know why? Because you have the same agenda over and over again. And you know why? Because your desire for what you want is still the same. And you know why? Because you're operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. And as I said over the last couple of days, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. And conflict is a reminder of how my desires are in conflict with the will of God. And sometimes if we think about these passages, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. The more I walk in humility, meaning I walk according to the will and ways of God, the more God will draw near to me. But if I'm still operating in earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, I'm consumed with what I want. And when we see that in conflict over and over again, There may be four things that God may be trying to tell us. Consider this. God may be trying to show us in our conflict the desires that preoccupy our minds, our wills, affections, in ungodly ways, leading us to be friendly with the world and forsake our relationship with God, thus making God jealous and, watch this, treat us as an enemy until we repent. God may be trying to show us some of the ungodly ways of of thinking and speaking and behaving that have resulted from these desires that preoccupy our minds. God may be trying to show us the people we're using or hurting through this conflict to satisfy our desires. God may be trying to show us the areas of our lives where you and I refuse to obey, where you're walking in enemy towards God. Not that you are his enemy, but he has to treat you as an enemy to get you back in line. You see a lot of earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. You see a lot of quarrels and conflicts. Why? Because your heart wants what it wants when it wants it. I want to suggest to you that where there is this earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, where there is this friendship with the world, There are four Ps that you'll see in the lives of individuals which connect to this conflict. Number one, people will not be operating by God's perspective. They'll be operating by their perception. And perception is dangerous because perception means I'm dealing with you not according to truth. I'm dealing with you according to my opinions. And all of us can make opinions about individuals and know nothing about them. But if we hold to our opinions and not look at truth, then we will treat people not according to how God would have us, but according to our own assessments. That's leaning on our own understanding. Where there is a lot of earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, we're going to see a lot of perceptions. Pay attention to where there's a lot of preferences going on, where life is driven by your way and what you think and how you feel and not what God has said. Pay attention where you see a lot of pain, where I'm so consumed with my hurt that I can't think about God's will. Pay attention where there's a lot of preoccupation with passion. In other words, I want what I want when I want it, and when I can't get my way, everybody will pay. Even though James 4 through 6 is talking about 
being friendly with the world. I'm trying to give you some examples of what that looks like. Because some of you may sit here and say, well, I study my Bible every week. I have my devotions. I'm here on Sundays and Wednesdays. I'm great. Not necessarily. How often are you operating and looking at people or in your home according to your picture of them? How often are you driven by your preferences? How often do you find that your pain is the center of conversation? How often do you find that you're driven by the passions of your soul that don't line up? That's earthly, natural, demonic. That is being friendly with the world, which is why the conflict keeps happening in the relationships. But God has an answer for these things. Verse 7 to verse 10, chapter 4, he says, Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning, and let your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. You know, if you really want to handle being worldly, which leads to earthly, natural, demonic wisdom being operating in your life, which leads to the conflict that you're having because you're driven by your desires, which leads you to be friendly with the world. God is saying something, and we can summarize verses 7 to verses 10 in this way. Confess, repent, replace, draw near to God. Confess, repent, replace, draw near to God. That's basically what he's telling us to do from verses 7 to verses 10. Where there is conflict in your relationships, you're driven by something other than God's will. And where there's something other than God's will, that means these desires have become center. It's a time not to make excuses. It's a time to make confessions. It's a time to draw near to the Lord and watch him draw near to us. But watch this. God will not obey for you. He has given you the power to obey. So therefore, if you belong to Jesus Christ, you can do verse 7 to verse 10. It's either lack of knowledge you didn't know. It's either lack of skill you didn't know how. Or it's lack of will you just won't. So for you and I, saints, this verse, if we really wanted to deal with conflict, we can find ourselves first recognizing that our way cannot always be the way and that maybe there's earthly, natural, demonic wisdom that maybe we need to adjust our desires to fit the situation, that maybe we've become so friendly with the world that now God is opposing us and that opposing us to get our attention so that we can stop living as if we belong to ourselves. The first step. Submit. Draw near. I want to take that passage, verse 7 to verse 10, and I want to give you some practical steps to use from this passage and application for resolving conflict. Consider these things. If, if you really want to put this to practice, if you really want to get through some of the conflict in your life, first of all, examine yourself to see where you've been friendly with the world and walking in pride towards God and others and get the log out of your eye. Can I tell you a secret? The things that irritate you the most about other people are the things you practice yourself. It takes one to know one. You know why you're so irritated with that person who's so selfish? Because they're not thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. You ever thought about that? You ever wondered why that person who's so stubborn irritates you? 
because they're just as stubborn as you are. See, the reality is God allows people in your life who are just like you, and you're so quick to want to shame them and judge them, and God says, surprise, when you help you, you can help them. Conflict exposes things like this. Ask yourself this question. Are my words seasoned with grace or with sin when I'm dealing with this person I'm in conflict with? Am I grumbling? Am I complaining? Am I slandering? Am I gossiping? Are my words negative, critical, hurtful, destructive? Have I exaggerated the truth? Am I handling my responsibilities with this person? Am I keeping my word with them? Am I respecting or rebelling against God-given authority? Would I want someone to treat me the way I'm treating this person? I'll never forget I was in a counseling session, and this guy was yelling at his wife, so I started yelling at him. I said, do you like it when I'm yelling at you like this? He says, no. I said, do you think your wife likes it when you're yelling at her like that? It's amazing the very things we do to other people we don't want done to us, and we think it's going to work with them. Why? Earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, selfish ambition, friendly with the world, hostile towards God. I want what I want when I want it. And God says, surprise, that's not the way I called you to live. What desires am I preoccupied with, and what am I doing to satisfy them? Am I withholding love? As you take a look at those things, if you want to resolve conflict, then the next thing is free yourself from the sin. Resist the devil by confessing, repenting, remorsing, and replacing the sin through submission to godly thoughts, desires, words, actions, and relationship patterns. In other words, talk with God about your specific sin. Renounce it specifically and immediately. Admit to others how you have specifically sinned against them in attitude or actions. Ask their forgiveness for your sins. Accept the consequences of your sin and make the necessary restitution. Alter your attitudes, your actions, relationship patterns to line up with God's will. When you've done that, then you can go and talk to your brother or your sister about their issues. You make it right first. And when you do, speak the truth in love. Serve your brother in their faults. Allow him or her time to respond. Rest and wait on God to do his will. Now, let me say this. I said this this weekend, and for those that I weren't with, I want to remind you. The Trinity has how many in it? Is there a certain thing as a junior Holy Spirit? Is there a fourth person to the Trinity? Stop trying to play God in the lives of people. You can't convict them. You can't make them change. That's God's job, not yours. And the moment you stop trying to play God and submit to God, God may use you to bring them to light, but you will not make anyone change. You cannot convict anybody. That is in the hands of God and the heart of the individual. And the moment you accept that the Trinity means Trinity, you can be free to accept that truth may be presented but not accepted. Rest. Wait on God to do his will. As much as it depends on you, be at peace with that person. When the issue has been worked through, cover it and move on. But if it remains, Matthew 18 becomes your challenge. My brothers and sisters, I, I want to close by saying this to you. Conflict is real. But conflict is resolvable. And it's resolvable if you're willing to take James at heart to first recognize 
the earthly, natural, demonic wisdom. To then recognize that out of that earthly, natural, demonic wisdom, the confusion and disorder in that relationship is not one-sided. To recognize that there's something you want that you're not getting, there's something you're getting you don't want. And because that's become the center, you are responding and acting as if you are an unbeliever and you're living as if the world is yours. And God is asking all of us, when that happens, to stop, think for a moment, recognize that your life is bigger than your life. And you must get back to the reality that you must submit to him, surrender to him, and deal with the attitudes of your heart before him. Cleanse your heart, your hands. Make things right with him. Make things right with others so that you can be the light in dark places. I've left you with some notes I wanted you to have. I do this worksheet, and I wanted you to have it for yourselves to use as a practice on resolving conflict. And as I work with couples and people around the country in conflict, I give them this packet to work with. And one of the things I've discovered, if they can get past question number one, they can make it. (laughs) You know why I said that? Because when I ask people, what is the problem? What do they normally do? Tell me it's somebody else. That's arrogance and pride at its finest. The moment you stop making someone else the problem is the moment you can start to have change. So I'm leaving you with that worksheet, and I want you to sit down with someone that you're having conflict with if they're willing. Walk through these questions together. Think about the reality that conflict is opportunity to see where you are with God, to see where you are in life, to see what you made more important than loving God and loving others And to no longer make excuses, but make confessions. What's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Come they not from your pleasures that wage war. My brothers and sisters, what do you want? What are you getting? Why do you think God is saying no? Maybe your passion for it is stronger than your passion for him. You say, well, how can you say that? Look at your attitudes. Look at your actions. Look at how you live in preoccupation with losing or gaining that which is way more important to you than God himself. Is that not friendship with the world? Is that not earthly, natural, demonic? This does not call us to repent and to begin to recognize that people are not problems but problems happen because of our attitudes and agendas with people. The moment we see that, we stop calling people problem people. We start seeing people with problems. The moment we see that, we recognize that we don't have what I call marriage problems. We have conflicts that arise in a marriage. We have character deficiencies that come out. The marriage is not the problem. It's the problem of your character. And conflict exposes where character needs to be addressed. And if you think it's the other person, as I shared this weekend, I met with the man. He was on his fifth wife. He says, you know what? I think it's me. I said, you think? (laughs) On wife number five, now you think it's you? Bro, it was wife number one. This is what I, I shared with another couple. It was their third marriage. And I said, 
what have you not learned that if you had learned, you wouldn't be on marriage number three? And they looked at me and they said, I don't know. I said, that's my goal because I don't want to see marriage number four. My goal is to show you that you've been running and you thought that another relationship would change it, but the problem is always set with you. You can't leave something undone and think it's going to be done somewhere else because the reality is not the person. The person was an opportunity to expose the character. Earthly, natural, demonic, or you're walking in the wisdom of God. Conflict becomes the opportunity for us to see how God can grow us as we can count it all joy if we're willing to accept that there's always something good and something bad because in the bad, God is working out something good and that good is not our personal satisfaction, but it's his glory and our ultimate sanctification. The moment we understand that, we can get excited about anything that's happening, knowing that God is going to make us perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. But if that's boring to you, that's uninteresting to you, then you're going to find yourself struggling a lot with God and questioning how much he loves you. Because God doesn't love you according to your standards. He loves you according to his character. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to see our conflict as a way to expose our hearts. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to no longer make excuses or to blame the person that we're having conflict with, but to see where our hearts are, to see what we wanted from them that has been way more important than what we were meant to do with them. Forgive us, Lord, and keep us. And we'll be careful to give you the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.